0: This morning we're in Ephesians four. We're going to wrap up Ephesians four next week, so um, two more weeks. Here we go. This this morning Paul is going to continue uh, his theme of of taking off the old and putting on the new. Uh, last week we talked about putting off falsehood and, and and speaking in truth, and and that and we looked away looked at putting away anger that, that isn't a righteous anger, and. Um, This morning, Paul's going to give us a couple more things that we need to put away, and and then he's going to give us the reason why. And so if you have your Bibles, Ephesians 4, we're going to read 28 through 30 this morning. Paul says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, when Cena and I were in college, we, we didn't have sororities or fraternities because we went to Christian schools, and those things weren't accepted on our campuses. And so, and so they did what a, bunch of, a whole bunch of other uh, Christian organizations do, is, we, is they robbed from culture, and then they just changed the name. And so we had social clubs. Uh, on our uh, on our campus at, at ACU, Sina was in Sigma Theta Chi, and at Hardin Simmons, I was in Beta Delta Gamma. Now we had Greek letters; each club had their own uh, Greek letters, and these were like massive, you know, uh, sheet of plywood type letters that you would paint and 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 whatever. And so. Um, we, we had the Greek letters, and, and we did all the other things that sororities and, and fraternities did on college campuses, except we replaced uh, the heavy drinking and partying with uh, pranks and uh, Bible studies, right? And so, uh, now, I'm not a small guy, but believe it or not, I can move like a cat when needed. And, and there were many occasions where I was tasked with sneaking into a dorm room and stealing other clubs letters, and and then we would hold them ransom for something that we wanted, or we would place them in in places where it would get the other club in trouble. Now, I was a Bible major, uh, and so anytime I would get caught with them, which happened occasionally, uh, I had the excuse that I was studying Greek, and and these happened to be my favorite uh, Greek letters that I was holding on to. It was a very spiritual excuse. Now, I, I think a lot of times... When we think of stealing, we think of something like that. Even robbing a bank or, or, or getting robbed. That, that certainly fits into this category. And, and it was for sure the case in Paul's day. Now, we know that many of the early followers of Jesus Christ came from among the down and out of the culture of that day. And so many of these people were day laborers, many were skilled tradesmen, uh, and many of their occupation was seasonal. And since there was no welfare system, many of them resorted to stealing in order to provide for themselves and their families. And, and even though these people had become followers of Jesus, they, they still found it hard to break away from the cultural norms of uh, that day. But as Paul has already made clear in this section, beginning in verse 22, when we become followers of Jesus, when we surrender our life to him as a result of his work in our lives, we have to take off our old ways and we have to put on uh, our new ways. He's already described how we put off falsehood and put on the truth and, and how we, we, we put off the tolerance for sin uh, in the body and, and put on our righteous indign- indignation. Paul now applies that same concept to our work. And so as a follower of Jesus, we need to be people who work honestly. Now, so this isn't just about taking what is not yours, but rather making sure that we are working in a way that honors the Lord. Let's see what the Bible says about stealing, because, because maybe you've never taken anything in your life that didn't belong to you. Maybe you're like, this doesn't apply to me, but but you still might be living in a way that's not in line with what the Bible teaches. In Leviticus chapter 6, it says this in verse 2, if anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security, or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor, or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely and any... Uh, of all the things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he has found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. In Psalm 37, it says that the wicked borrow and do not repay. Paul writes in Colossians 3 that, that slaves should obey their masters when, when their eye is on them and when their eye is not on them. That, that we should work in such a way as if we're working for the Lord and not for man. Now, that is only a small sampling of what the Bible has to say about stealing and work. But, but even in those few passages that we just read, we can identify several ways that we can be guilty of stealing. And perhaps now the command to quit stealing hits a little closer to home. For instance, have you ever sold a car or house without disclosing all the things that are wrong with it? Or maybe you've been on the bad bad end of receiving or buying something that somebody didn't disclose. Have you ever borrowed something from a friend and damaged it and then never fixed it? Or or maybe you borrowed something from a friend and you failed to return it and then you're cleaning out your garage and you find this thing from three years ago but you don't remember who you borrowed it from? Have you ever gotten paid for a full day of work but didn't work it? You spend time on your phone playing games. You spend time making personal phone calls. Have you ever withheld a tithe or an offering that God has called you to give away? So so I I think it's fair to say that that every single one of us at one time or another has been guilty of stealing. So, So Paul tells us to put that off. He tells us to stop being a thief and instead do honest work so that we have something to share. The word that is translated work here is a word that means work to the point where it becomes weary. Exhaust yourself. And this is not an option, right? This is a command. And so Paul is instructing his readers that they are not only to quit stealing and get a job, but they are to work hard in that job. Proverbs 24 says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Now, we need to work hard, but but we also don't want to take it to the other extreme and become workaholics we, we don't have time to address that this morning, but, but maybe we can find a good balance you, using Paul's words here. He tells us to do something useful with our hands, and he tells us to work for the right reason in, in which, so that we are able to share with others that have need. Now, if you aren't meeting those two standards, then you might begin to consider making a change. There's been many times in my life where I was working for the right reasons, such as trying to provide for my family, but, but I was in the wrong role, and I would come home each and every day miserable. There wasn't fulfillment and at the end of the day, even though I was bringing home a paycheck. But, but now I feel like I'm in the right role, and, I, and I'm still able to share with those in need, mainly my kids who are deprived. Deprived. Now, if you are miserable going to work each and every day and the only reason you go to work is to provide a paycheck, you might want to consider a career change because if you are not in the right role, if you are not in the right position, you have a greater tendency to become a thief because you're not going to work hard as a worker for the Lord and not for man. You're going to be working for a paycheck. The the point of this verse is to help us understand that we as believers in Jesus need to live lives that are honest and meaningful. We don't want to be leeches to those around us, but serve as we have been served. Now, work as if the only person who notices us is the Lord. That's how we are to live. Next, Paul writes that we need to speak to build up. Now, we all know people who are really effective at manipulating others with their words. Unfortunately, the body of Christ is not immune to those um, who are quite adept at this practice. Uh, we all know stories of televangelists who will manipulate their viewers for their own personal benefit. Many, aren't currently, many are currently being investigated by our government. Now, we know how investigations from Congress go, so there's not a lot of hope in it, but nonetheless, it's occurring. But, but this practice can occur in much more subtle ways within local bodies. It, it, can, it can happen anywhere. How, how about those who threaten to withhold their financial support until they get put on church leadership? Or what about those who begin whisper campaigns in order to undermine some sort of change that they don't like? Or even those that make personal attacks against the church leadership in in an attempt to get their own way. The the Bible and, and the Proverbs in particular have a lot to say about those who use deceitful words to manipulate others. Here's just a couple of those. It says the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. But a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Or another one, as a north wind brings rain, so a sly tongue brings angry looks. We we need to keep in mind, if if we're trying to stay in the context of Ephesians, we need to keep in mind that our words have the ability to disrupt church unity. It's going to take each of us to remain on guard, not just with what we say, but also what we allow to influence us. My my children are great manipulators. They, They can say things in the right tone of voice. They can look at you as if they actually care about you. And they can almost always get their way when that happens. Now, it's cute when children are trying to get an extra snack from the pantry it can be devastating when it's happening in the church. How many times have we said, I, I, I didn't mean to say that? How many times have we heard that? I didn't mean to say that. I didn't want to say that. But Jesus is clear that one day we are going to give an account for the careless words that we speak. In Matthew 12, he says, But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned. Once again, we need to listen to the writer of the Proverbs. He says, he who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. I've learned that the hard way. In other words, we need to think before we speak. And we don't always do a very good job of that, do we? I've gotten better as I've gotten older, but sometimes, sometimes that filter doesn't always work. Sometimes things come out. Another form of talk that comes out of our mouth is gossip. Unfortunately, it seems that like many of us don't really have a very good handle on what the Bible considers to be gossip. And therefore, many of us are guilty of gossip and we aren't aware of it. I looked up a lot of different definitions of gossip this week. um, But this one seems to best reflect the biblical concept of gossip. Here it is. Gossip is sharing anything about someone when the act of sharing is not part of the solution to that person's problem. So gossip is not so much a matter of what we say about others, but what our purpose is when we say those things. Even things that are true about another person can easily become gossip. Even within the church, we need to be careful that that our prayer requests... Don't become gossip. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting and and somebody says, we need to pray for such and such because I think she's having an affair on her husband? We need to pray that the Lord intervenes there? Is that not a form of gossip? If I wouldn't say something about a person in his or her presence, I shouldn't say it when they are not present. Like we know this to be true, but it's still an issue within the church. Once again, the Proverbs give some very clear warnings about gossip. In Proverbs 16, a, a perverse man stirs up dissension. And a gossip separates close friends. I have a feeling all of us have been on the receiving end of that, have we not? Relationships broken because of gossip. Proverbs 20 says a gossip betrays confidence. So avoid a man who talks too much. So Paul tells us. Don't let those things come out of your mouth. But, but he then tells us what to replace it with. Our words are to build up. That, that could be words that encourage. That could be words that instruct. It could even be words that rebuke. I, I've learned that, that since we've moved to Iowa, that there's this thing called Midwest Nice. Nice. I mean, reality is everyone is really very friendly here. I I, I really don't think that I've been flipped off once since we've moved here. (laughs) Just wait. I like that. But really, that might be the longest streak of my life where I haven't been flipped a bird uh, as I'm driving. Now, here's the issue. The the problem with Midwest Nice is, is that sometimes that isn't always the best option. Sometimes we have to say hard things... For the betterment of fellow believers. Encouragement is always a good thing. And that fits into the the area of Midwest Nice. But sometimes we have to instruct. If I've learned anything this semester. By helping out with Crossroads. Is that if you don't take time to instruct those kids. They will run all over you. When a kid is jumping from table to table. I don't sit back and encourage them hey, next time, make sure you plant your feet really well before you make the leap. No, I, I, I instruct them by making them come down and saying, hey, a better option is walking to the next table. Now, I try to do that in a way that's not scary to them and, and, and doesn't want them to come, come back, but kids need instruction. At, at our previous church, there were several opportunities for me and the elders to rebuke a member of the church. The purpose was not meant to attack them, but rather to correct them. We, we saw them walking down a path that was going to be destructive to their family. It was going to be destructive to the relationship with the Lord. And we wanted to do everything we could to protect them from themselves. Never once in those conversations did any of them say, You all are so nice. Thank you. Thanks for being such an encouragement to me. Instead, they get defensive, or, or even worse, they go on the attack. So, sometimes the most loving thing that we can do for fellow believers is to call them out on their sin. Now, I've told this story before, I believe, but I'm going to tell it again anyway. When my kids were younger, they, they had a hard time. I'm sure many of your kids are the same way, had a hard time staying out of the street. Be, because I loved them, I would get on to them, and, and there would be some sort of punishment, like you, you can't play outside for a little while. Now, there's this pretty uh, busy road uh, that intersected with our street, and, and when the come inside and stay out of the street didn't work, I, I had to take it up a level, and so we would go for a walk down to that road that, 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 that was pretty busy. There was always uh, a dead animal on there somewhere, and I would walk the kids down, show them some roadkill, and, and tell them that if they were to continue to ride their bikes in the street, that's what they would look like. I didn't do that to be mean. I did that because I love them. And sometimes in our relationship with others, we, we need to take them for a walk and show them some roadkill if they don't stop playing in the street. When we see that friend getting, walking too close to sin and being comfortable with it, we need to call them out on it. We need to build them up when we see that fellow Christian leaving a wake of destruction behind them, we need to call them out on it. Those things are not harsh. They, they are some of the best ways that we can love people. Because we live amongst sinful human beings, there's going to be times when, when people say things and people do things that hurt us deeply. And, and as we've seen, those words and actions cannot be taken back. They, they, we, we can't change the past, but we can choose how to respond to those hurts. We can either dwell on them and allow them to fester into bitterness, or we can choose to forgive. There, there is no doubt which of the alternatives that, that I just mentioned ought to characterize our relationships within the body of Christ. As Paul clearly points out in his letter to the Colossians in chapter 3, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. When we are hurt, regardless of whether the other person asks for it or not, we have the ability to forgive and to speak words of forgiveness to the other person. And when we speak those three little words, I forgive you we end up edifying two lives, our own and the person that we are forgiving. After all, isn't that exactly what Jesus did on the cross? He, he asked his father to forgive those who were crucifying him, even though they hadn't even asked for forgiveness. So sometimes we, we wait to forgive somebody until they ask us for their forgiveness. That's not what Jesus did. And those words had a tremendous impact on at least one person who heard him that day. I think that those words are the main reason the Roman centurion praised God and recognized Jesus as a righteous man. Now, the final verse we're going to cover this morning is verse 30, where where Paul tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Although we certainly don't have time to cover this principle exhaustively this morning, the Bible makes it clear that the Holy Spirit is 100% God. He is one of the three members of the Godhead, or what we often refer to as the Trinity. Therefore, he is not an object. He's not, as some people would claim, merely an essence or an impersonal force, such as the Force Be With You from Star Wars. Like God the Father and God the Son, he exhibits the traits of a person. We know that he speaks according to Acts 13. We know that he has a will, according to 1 Corinthians 12. And and as we see in our passage this morning, he can also be grieved. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses here denotes pain or grief that is experienced between two people. In my own life, I can grieve the people around me. I can grieve my wife, which I've done. I can grieve my kids. I can even grieve some of you. But I can't grieve an object or an essence or a force. I can't grieve my TV. I can't grieve my car. I can't grieve Mother Earth. So the very fact that the Holy Spirit can be grieved is evidence that He's a person. He's fully God, fully omniscient, omnipresent, and eternal. The word Paul uses here for grief uh, originally was used to picture a husband or wife who discovered that his or her spouse had been unfaithful. As a result of that betrayal, the offended person was shocked and devastated, hurt and wounded. So when Paul uses this word, he is picturing the fact that the Holy Spirit is in a love relationship with us similar, but but greatly exceeds the way that we love our spouse. Basically, what Paul is saying is is that when we sin, it is a betrayal of the Holy Spirit inside of us. One of the ways that we can avoid grieving Him is by focusing on our redemption. Now, like our salvation, redemption has three aspects to it. I have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. I am being redeemed right now as I live an abundant life in Christ. And I will be redeemed in the future where I will experience the full extent of that redemption. When we remember and are focused on that redemption... When we remember and focus on what Jesus has done for us, it becomes easier to not have anger. It is easier to work hard. It's easier for grace to be in our conversations. Now, my son, River, believe it or not, for those of you that know him, uh, can talk a lot. You, you, get on, on, you get him on a topic that he enjoys, and, and he will go on and on and on and on. There have been several times that Cena and I will just look at him and be like, you really got to stop talking. <laughs> you, you really got to be quiet. This is the same kid that we used to get frustrated with because, because he was like a closed book. And he would just kind of stare at you. He wouldn't really talk to you. But now, he talks a lot. Last month, when he was laying in a hospital bed, unable to talk, there was nothing more that I wanted to hear than him talk about anything. If he wanted to get on Amazon and talk about 30 minutes of why he wanted a particular pair of shoes, and he has, I I would have loved that. If he wanted to talk about why this particular food was his favorite, then I would have listened to that all day long. When, when he started getting back to himself and starting to feel better, I told Cena that if I ever complain about him talking too much, slap me. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently there's, apparently, there's others that will take <laughs> Take me up on that. <laughs> but in that moment, I, I, I stopped caring about the annoyances that sometimes come from somebody constantly talking. And I focused on the good that I had. When our focus is on what Christ has done for us, a lot of these things that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks will be so much easier. When I focus on the forgiveness that has been granted to me, it is so much easier to forgive and not hold a grudge. When I think about the generosity that has been shown to me, with every spiritual blessing, it is easier to be generous to those around me. When I understand the grace that has been given to me, even when I was at my worst, it is easier for me to be a minister of grace to the people in my life. Your, your redemption is the greatest gift you have ever received. When, when you think about what that really means, when you think about what that really means to be redeemed by Him, even when you're at your worst, it, it, it helps us put off our old self. It it helps us put off our old way of thinking and put on the new. You want to stop being a thief? Focus on your redemption. You want to speak words that build life? Focus on your redemption. You want to put away anger? Focus on your redemption. If you want to get angry about sin, focus on your redemption. See, it's so, so easy to play church And to come in here week after week after week and sing some songs and hear me speak and and pray and go to, it's so easy to fall into a routine where we fail to remember what we're here for, where we fail to remember all that he has done for us, to, to fail to remember how much we have been forgiven, how much grace has been extended. It's so easy to forget those things. And so in order to put off the old and put on the new, we, we have to focus on our redemption. We have to think about our redemption. And so I'm going to pray for us, and we'll, we'll call it another Sunday here in a second. But, but as I pray and as we sing, I'm going to really challenge you to focus on your redemption, to, to think about what you've been saved from While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. All of your sins were future sins when he chose you. Do you understand what that means? It's the greatest gift you can ever receive. We need to give him praise for that. Let's pray. Father God, I pray. I pray, Father, that as we sing and as we respond, that you will speak. God, I pray that you will protect our minds from the enemy right now to distract us. I I pray, God, that you will help us understand and be aware of all the good we have around us. All the good we have because of you. God, make these moments holy moments as we think about our redemption in you. As we think about the love you have for us. as you forgave those even when they didn't deserve it or ask for it. And so, Father, help us make peace. Help us be a church that builds up with our words. Help us be a church that works as if you were the only person that can see us. Help us honor you with everything that we do. And so, Father, I pray right now For those that need to continue to take off their old self, I pray, Father, that you will clothe them in your righteousness. And Father, I pray that you will lead this response. Let us respond in a way that honors you and what you've called us to. I ask all these things in your name.